This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We're the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Welcome to Burn It All Down, the feminist sports podcast you need. I'm Jessica, and on this week's show, I'm joined by Amira and Lindsay. This week, we're going to talk about sports and COVID, because we haven't actually had a discussion about the pandemic for quite a while, and ooh, wow, is it making its presence known these days? We are headed into a winter that is going to be so dangerous and so horrific, and yet the NBA is going on without a bubble. Just going on. Then we'll burn things that deserve to be burned, highlight the torchbearers who are giving us hope during this dark time, let you know what's good in our world, and tell you what we're watching this week. But first, before we get into all of that, I enjoyed people's Spotify wrapped list posts this week, seeing what songs and artists people listen to the most in 2020. So I would love to hear what my co-hosts had or would have had on their wrap list in case you aren't a Spotify listener. Maybe something obvious or tell us something that would surprise us. Amira. Well, I really wish I could participate in this, but because Alexa only lets you link one Spotify account, like everybody uses my Spotify account on their individual Alexa. What is your family song? It's is it deeply terrible. embarrassing? No, it's not <laughs> that it's deeply embarrassing. It's that I get mad that I can't see my actual stats. You know how I'm all for that. <laughs> But they're so skewed. So, for instance, Spotify told me that the one song that, quote, helped me get through it all this year was Lion Guard, Call of the Guard. What is that? That's Zachary. It's Simba's son, Kion. It's a Disney Junior show. So, that's what got Zachary through this my top songs were Lion Guard, Ben Platt, Ben Platt, Beautiful, More Lion Guard. Samari listens to podcasts such as The Philosophy Guy. She listened to 26 episodes oh in one God. day, apparently. My top artists and my top songs were all show tunes or kid shows. Top genre was show tunes. They've listened to like over 80,000 minutes. They've listened to it all night. But like I said, I am not represented on my list at all. So oh my gosh. There I love everything about that though. Every year I forget this and every year I like eagerly log on to Spotify to pull up my list and every year it's 
just my kids and mostly Samari and show tunes. And now this philosophy, there's like four philosophy pro- like podcasts. She's just figuring out I her hate place philosophy. in the world. She's figuring out her place in the world. Mine's I just- hate philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I really dislike it. Maybe that's why your daughter loves it. Okay. She's trolling me. Yes. Uh, I have similar, like my top song is Brian Eno's Thursday Afternoon because that's what my son listens to every single night as he falls asleep. And then it's all of his parody songs about Minecraft. And then Aaron listens to the same songs over and over again that he performs with the School of Rock band. So it's like all of that kind of stuff. But I did want to ask you all. If you think that this is obvious about me or a surprise that I feel like I know the answer. So the top song on the list that's clearly mine is Taylor Swift's All Too Well. Because I listen to that song all <laughs> the time. I mean, I assume everyone loves Taylor Swift. So <laughs> oh, that's, that's surprising. So nice. That's the best song. Yeah. I can also There's see. There's a lot of Taylor Swift. Yeah. Yeah. On yours. Yeah. Like Party for One by Carly Rae is on there. And I'm like, oh, that's that's me. I'm represented three times on this list probably uh Lindsay what about you yeah so I don't do I listen to podcasts so much that music has become like I'm trying to get back into music because podcasts are like what I work (laughs) listen to when I work out like I listen to too many podcasts but podcasts are the best medium and then when I'm writing I have like a playlist and it's like a Pandora station that I've used to write to since I was Mm, like I have a lo-fi right for that I listen to for like 20 years But I do listen to Spotify sometimes. And the thing is, since I'm not super tuned in with music, I'm always like, I don't know names of artists that well. Like, I just kind of am like, you know, here's a shuffle, you know, like, (laughs) let's see what the shuffle is and then surprise me. So I was very surprised that Marshmello, the DJ, I had to Google to find out he's a DJ, has showed up on my, my top 20 a couple of times. The top one is a song be kind with halsey which i don't even know what that song is but i'm sure i love it um, i love that i'll have to go listen i'm i'm sure i'll recognize it that's what it is like i'll, I'll i'm always surprised when i find out there are people that like i know they'll somebody be like oh that's a selena gomez song and i'll be like selena gomez like the tiny girl like <laughs> that um, <happens> always- <laughs> yes but Marin morris is the most oh, yes the bones Re- is my favorite song and my whole family knows this because I play it very loudly at all times and sing at the top it's- of my lungs and I'm tone deaf. And I take every Peloton class that has that on the playlist. <laughs> and really, my 2020 songs wow, are all... I, was, I thought we were going to get through this whole little Never. bit here without Peloton. Linz, do you have a... Is there a top Marin Morris song? Um, well, on it here, bones? it actually says... It's not Bones. It says it's to Helen back. You did a But anyways, I also really love, and these are the two albums I listen to the most, like when I'm just chilling, which is the new Taylor Swift this year, and then also the Folklore, and then the High Women's album. I love, love, love the High Women, but it's not on my Spotify that much because that's one of the rare ones I like download on iTunes. So I think the last time this group talked specifically about COVID in sports was episode 174. That was early October when we did our good, bad and ugly roundup with the return of sports. We touch on it a lot, though, here and there, most often in the burn pile as we rage at the ways COVID is being disregarded within sports. 
But as the virus gets worse and worse here in the United States, on Wednesday, the U.S. had its highest number of deaths in a single day since the pandemic started. 2,885 people lost their lives that day. Sports continues on. Now seems like a good time to talk once more about this global pandemic and what the hell is going on in sports. Let's start with a quick roundup of some COVID sports stories to give listeners an idea of how much of a mess this is all right now. We're going to mainly focus on U.S. sports since that's where we live and what we know the best. Lindsay, please tell us what the hell's going on in the NFL. Well, I was going to say, and also U.S. sports, because this is where we're handling it the poorest. So this is where there's the most, like, horrible stories. Um, So there's been two really big stories in the NFL, which is just barreling towards the end of its season. It's on week 13, and Roger Goodell is completely determined to get this season done in 17 weeks, like normal, and go right on. This week, there were two examples of how foolish this is. Number one was there was... An outbreak of sorts within the Denver Broncos. One of its quarterbacks tested positive after all of the quarterbacks had been in a a quarterback-only meeting on their off day, not following their mass protocol. So all, like, four quarterbacks, like, there are three quarterbacks on the roster and then their practice squad quarterback, all has to be quarantined. This, though, wasn't found out until later in the week because they lied about whether they had followed protocols or not. So ultimately, less than 24 hours before the game against the New Orleans Saints, which have one of the best defenses in football, they were told that none of their quarterbacks could go. So Kendall Hinton, who has never played an actual NFL game, he is a practice squad wide receiver who played quarterback at Wake Forest before, very early in his career, college career, before switching to wide receiver in college. So he didn't even play quarterback throughout college, was told you are going in as quarterback tomorrow. One of the most, I mean, bizarre kind of stories in NFL history. But anyways, we'll get into later why I think it's less kind of quirky and unique and more dangerous. And then another story was the Baltimore Ravens had an outbreak where basically for nine days straight, a player on their team tested positive and their game against the Pittsburgh Steelers was pushed back from, it was supposed to be on Thanksgiving, the Thanksgiving night game. And it was pushed until Wednesday afternoon. So almost a full week later. And so I think those just two examples show that on paper, yes, the NFL is on schedule of the actual book. It's a disaster. Yeah, and that's very much mirrored in college football, right, which has been postponing and canceling its football games left and right since the season started back up. I recently talked to Nicole Auerbach for this show in one of our interviews about all of this. But a good example of the impact of all of this is Ohio State, which is, you know, a historically powerhouse football team. It has played and won so few games at this point that it will most likely not play enough games to qualify for inclusion in the Big Ten Championship, which is normally a prerequisite for making the college football playoffs. It looks like, or at least it's possible, that the Big Ten is going to change its qualifying rules for the Big Ten Championship just so Ohio State can get in. And it's possible that the college football playoff committee will let them into the playoffs no matter what happens here. The number of games that Ohio State has played so far this year is five. And you need to play six to make it into the Big Ten championship, which is normally half of a season. 
So it's not even playing half of a season because of how bad COVID has been and because of how the Big Ten itself handled all of this. So that's just one of the many, many examples we could talk about in college football. Amira, how are these non-bubble sports like football serving as blueprints right now? Yeah, I mean, it's a mess. And as messy as it is, they are providing kind of ideas as we move into the winter season and we're moving into indoor winter sports. So if you recall, the University of New Mexico moved its entire football team into a hotel to play this season because New Mexico's restrictions would have impacted their game. They couldn't have played. And so they moved into a hotel in Las Vegas with 140 people, including players, staff, all of these folks. They're living out of a Hilton. It costs approximately $70,000 per week. And this is how they've had their football season. And so now as we move into basketball season, the University of New Mexico has elected to follow this blueprint that they've used with the football team. And they've relocated both their women's and men's basketball teams out of state. This time, instead of going to Vegas, they have gone into Texas, into Lubbock and Amarillo. There's two things here that's, you know, one It's very clear that they're doing the same kind of pandemic math. The New Mexico athletic director told Nicole that it it didn't matter the cost per week because at the end of the day, the whole season might cost 300,000, but their payout for playing from the Mountain West Conference, from college football, playoff, bowl tournaments would be close to 4 million. And so their pandemic math was, yeah, we'll pay a lot of money up front to like be able to participate, but we're going to get at least a $3 million payout. And that logic, right, and that kind of economy that college football sports exists in is the same kind of logic being used to move their basketball teams. But the other thing that can't be looked away from is that they're moving their teams into some of the most COVID positive places in the state of Texas. Uh, They're moving into counties that the governor refuses to help shut down. And so they're open spaces with hospitalization rates that are already nearly at 40 to 50 percent. And this is where they're moving their teams. And so you have both them doing this blueprint and serving as you know, the pandemic math logic taking them into the winter season. But also you can see that it's just churning along, even if it means moving into high COVID counties in order to like get these payouts. Yeah. And we saw one very successful, we saw multiple successful bubbles this summer, but one of them was the NBA. And they're about to start their season up again on December 22nd without a bubble. And news this week, they tested their 546 players, getting them ready to go into practice and 48 of them tested positive. So it's not a great sign of where everything is headed this winter. So that's a good overview, I think, of some of the issues with COVID, like specific examples of COVID in sports. And let's talk now about sort of what this means in a big picture way. Lindsay, can you talk to us about COVID protocols that are causing issues in other ways? Yeah, I mean, let's just talk about the Kendall Hinton situation, right? Is it really safe to put a player on the field who hasn't even, he didn't even get to go through a full practice at quarterback? Not even one single practice. He basically had time for walkthrough. And then he's having to be put on the field as quarterback in the NFL, having never played NFL game, having not been even a practice squad quarterback. So not even been in the meeting rooms. 
How is that prioritizing health and safety? <laughs> like, it's just not. Same with the Ravens. They had to go into this game against the Steelers, barely having had a full practice, you know, for over a week because of all the COVID protocols. And, you know, football is a sport like you need to stay staying in game shape involves a lot of work and a lot of teamwork. And then they go into this incredibly physical game. So I think that what we're seeing, not that, you know, we don't always see injuries in football. Of course, we do. But taking players out of their rhythm like this, limiting practice time, jumping through hoops for COVID, you know, when we can debate whether they're even the correct hoops or even the hoops even (laughs) work at all. But let's just say at least they, I mean, they are doing these quarantines. They're trying to isolate players. They're not allowing practices at times, but trying then to force these games to go on. It is putting them at the risk of so many injuries. At the same time, you know, there's the mental health aspect of all of this. Um, Mira just talked about college programs being in hotels away from their community, being isolated. And the whole thing we talked about with the bubbles this summer, the successful ones in the NBA, WNBA and National Women's Soccer League. Yeah, they worked. They were kind of emergency situations that were put together for short term to make this work. But they were incredibly, incredibly tough for players. Mental health. You know, you had NBA players, Paul George speaking about it in the playoffs. Kayla McBride wrote about it in the Players' Tribune. So, you know, now we have the 49ers um, in the NFL are headed to Arizona because San Francisco is basically shutting things down because so they had to find a new home field. And San Francisco head coach Kyle Shanahan is really worried about the team's mental health. He just kind of said he's trying to encourage them to talk to one another, that there's no problem too big or too small just really trying to get them all to look out for themselves because and each other because the whole point of not having the bubble was to not have to put this mental health strain on Mm. the players right players didn't want to do the bubbles long term understandably so but now you're having players (laughs) dealing with the outbreaks that come with not being in a bubble and now because the pandemic is surging having to be put in a bubble like situation anyways and being removed from their families and it's just pretty devastating Yeah, those are really good points, Lens. And, you know, the sad thing is that on some level, this makes sense to us. We live in a capitalistic society. Amira just talked about, you know, the economy of of these sports. This is where the money is. But there are also problems with youth sports, right, Lindsay? Yeah, I mean, you know, they're really trying to figure out how not just to get youth sports (laughs) up and going, but youth sports are being shut down kind of across the country. Um, and I think that it's a sad thing. You know, kids need to get outside. We want to see these sports continue. We know how important it is. But since it's not the money-making behemoths that these pro sports are, they're being put on pause. And definitely there's a lot of dispute within a lot of local communities about whether or not this is actually like the right thing to do. 
But for me, I just keep thinking about like what's going on in the NFL and how Goodell and all of them say over and over again, we're prioritizing health and safety, we're prioritizing health and safety, we're prioritizing health and safety, when really the only thing they're trying to do is get through the season without COVID test, you know, like that's all the health and safety. It is not a holistic look at health and safety. That makes me just wonder what that means for children. (laughs) Like when we're talking about children and we're seeing how they're treating, yeah, Amira, you have a really specific example of of how this is working with youth sports. Yeah, because the shutdowns of youth sports are relatively new in this kind of version of the pandemic. They were some of the first things to come back over the summer and modified outside, you know, things like that. But also when professional and college sports are going on, it's very hard for youth sports. Part of the arguments is, well, everybody else is playing sports. So why are our season shut down? And one of the biggest issues that has arisen um, is specifically in hockey. And so while other youth sports have seen like some cases whatever they're seeing a huge disparity in outbreaks within youth hockey leagues so especially in places like the midwest and the northeast where there's a lot of uh, hockey culture and tournaments massachusetts logged over 100 youth hockey cases in just three weeks. Maine had uh, asymptomatic wrath exposed up to 400 people in two days. There's a great article in the Washington Post um, that just came out this week by Ariana Chua and Karen Bulliard if you want to dive deeper into these some of these outbreaks. But one of the things that they have seen is why are they getting these huge case numbers in like youth hockey tournaments that they weren't seeing in other sports. And so there's a few theories that epidemiologists are trying to track right now. One is that the nature of hockey, the fast line changes that you're kind of sprinting when you're on and you're running off develops in harsher breathing, harder, deeper breaths. And then because it's played indoors, but also in cold weather, that the air is stratified, that it's cold air, that it hangs in the air longer. And one of the things that is bolstering this theory is that they've seen other outbreaks in other kind of cold places like a meat processing factory or there was a Ah. curling match earlier in the pandemic that resulted in an outbreak and so there's a lot of unknowns right now but the other thing that they're tracking is could there be something specific about the way hockey is played in the temperature it's played in and then on top of that just the general kind of youth hockey culture which is a lot of mixing and mingling of players and of parents and getting people in and out of their uniforms and so hockey is a place to keep our eye on because it seems to be facing um major difficulties right now right off the gate that is leading the way in covid problems when it comes to youth sports wow That is fascinating and scary, I would say. My goodness. You know, I've been thinking a lot about science in all of this and how (laughs) sports seems to just disregard so much of it. I mean, we've been told from the beginning, mask up, keep distance, be outside, no contact, all of these things. And then sports is like, whatever. And I don't know. It's it's hard. Like when I hear what you just said, Amira, I'm like, cancel hockey. Like it seems like the evidence is pointing that it's very bad and it should be over. Uh, and But I feel like that in so many ways around all of this. And the one thing I wanted to mention in particular, it happened this week. Roger Goodell did a presser for the NFL with everything with the Ravens that Lindsay talked about. And it's very much like we're following the science. And I always just like every time, especially the NFL comes out and wants us to believe that, I keep thinking about concussions and how we've known that for decades 
decades they ignored it or they downplayed it just for the benefit of keeping injured players in the game. So I just like I can't trust them at all. And I I, I thought it was nice at least to hear that Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers, he recently wondered aloud on a radio show about all of the COVID protocols in the NFL. And he said, quote, some of it is definitely for the optics of it. Some of it is probably based on science. And I just really appreciated his probably <laughs> in that quote, like Absolutely. probably based on science. And don't y'all also think it's like, it's to the point where you're like, I don't even, sure, I just like, I don't believe anything you're saying because you're throwing it all out. And when you have reports of players being on a plane and somebody being, hey, this player tested positive and was also on the plane with the rest of the team, then shouldn't, by the protocols we've been given, the whole team be quarantined? And so it's also like this flouting, uh, it's like here we have all these souped up protocols, but also like the basic protocols that are also given to the general public are not being followed. It's what exactly. is science even anymore? It also makes me think about how we just talked about like how fuzzy numbers can be as soon as the numbers interfere with anything within sport. Oh, the numbers don't matter. It's It feels like that with the science. And I want to just say that I don't think it's just the leagues and the teams and the universities or whatever that are downplaying the seriousness of this. I don't know how y'all are feeling, but I've been annoyed at how sports media in general is often talking about this like it's an inconvenience or that the biggest adversity at play is not a possibly fatal virus being spread everywhere, but that there's a confusing schedule. Uh, Amira, what are you thinking about that? Absolutely. I mean, I think that has gone part and parcel with the, like Lindsay said from the top about the seriousness, at least in the United States of how this is regarded. And sports media, I think, is also part and parcel of this and perpetuating this kind of, it's become normal to talk about this as an injury report, you know, to say, oh no, uh, there's been an outbreak on this team. And so therefore this really jeopardizes Ohio State's ability to get into the game. Like that's the second sentence, right? Mm-hmm. Like that is that becomes the point of the tweet or of the article or of the concern. And now you have the COVID injury list. So it's like, oh, these people aren't available because they're on the COVID list. And it's become so detached from like, what does that mean? You have baseball players who had COVID who are still struggling. You have people who Carl Anthony Towns has yeah. lost seven people, including his mother. Seven people in his family have died because of COVID. Oh my God. Yeah. Seven people have died because of COVID. When Jessica started this talking about the enormity of people we're losing in this country, it there's so many reasons and ways that we are made to feel detached from what actual death and destruction looks like because of this pandemic. But when you get reports about a game and you're like oh they'll have to overcome covid or oh you know this is just like it's an arm like it's a tweaked ankle it contributes to the detachment we have from the actual toll of what we're dealing with and the enormity of the loss and the potential loss and the actual very scary still very very scary nature of a pandemic that has taken so much from so many people. So I do feel like at this point, does any of this even matter? Like we've just talked about all of this stuff and it just feels like so much at the beginning of this was us talking about the ways that these leagues and universities and organizations were justifying going back. Like how are they making the case that this is okay and now that's not even where the conversation starts. It's just, it just is. Sports are just happening. And we're not even 
asking them to justify that they exist in this way in the middle of this pandemic. Lindsay. Yeah, and I just, I cannot believe that an NBA season is starting in a couple of weeks. Like, that is where I actually start kind of shaking. First of all, there's so few NBA players compared to, like, an NFL team. Their quarantines are going to be, like, 10 days, which means you have players missing so many games. I mean, you know, at least the NFL, it's once a week, so they're kind of working around it. And the NFL is a disaster. The NBA, it's traveling all around the country, multiple games a week, indoors, with far your players to like serve as replacements and to come in and to help keep things going how how is this happening one positive test from ruby gobert rightly shut down the country basically back in march we're headed into a winter that is going to be so dangerous and so horrific as far as the death toll as far as the virus spreading combining the flu it's just going to, like, we can't even really comprehend how bad it's going to get in uh, December, January, February. And yet the NBA is going on without a bubble, just going on. I was listening to podcasts breaking down the John Wall versus Russell Westbrook trade. And we're just not even questioning the right for sports to exist anymore. Amira, bring us home. It's just exhausting to think about the enormity of this. We have really only scratched the surface in this discussion. There's so many ripple effects from this, like scholarship money. You know, the NCAA has given a eligibility year for all of these athletes that just wrapped their last season. But now you have too many players. <laughs> you have an incoming class that's running up against people who are also trying to return to keep their year transfer system is overloaded there's cuts to the programs we've already documented there's a all of these dominoes and ripple effects that are enormous problems in and of itself but are on the perimeter of the issues that we even discussed today and sometimes just looking at the great we have lost sight of how much has shifted as we've learned to live with covid We have, I feel, and I'm speaking we as a country, have been so eager to find a new normal and return to it that we've come to accept pandemic sports and what makes them go as fixed. And so fuck the bubble. Now, like Lindsay said, we're having a season. We're going to get these like protocol snapshots. Things are just going to go on. We've become used to the fact that multiple people are going to test positive, that teams are going to have to cancel games. We've come used to the rescheduling, the shuffling. And then we just keep rolling along like people aren't dying. It's baffling. Like Lindsay said, like one case, shut it down. We're in a worse place and we're like, fuck it. So when you say, are we past the point of it mattering? It's hard to feel like anything can matter anymore. And it's hard because you're sitting at home. Are you complicit when you turn on a game? I don't know. Who has the answers anymore? Like sometimes when you actually sit and have this discussion, I become so overwhelmed by it because it's just like, if you have to sit and face, actually look and think about all that has been lost or rearranged or shifted because of this pandemic and actually feel the weight of it. It's such a heavy load to carry. And so maybe the coping mechanism is to like ignore it. And maybe that's where we're at. 
If you want to hear more about the intersection of COVID and sports, tune in on Thursday for my interview with cultural anthropologist Dr. Adia Benton, whom we had on the show back in March on episode 151, not long after that Rudy Gobert positive test. Not only do we talk about this particular moment, but I do the mean thing, where I ask her to answer for her March predictions, but also I make her make predictions for 2021. To some extent, one could possibly support bubbles. <laughs> it would mean paying people, testing people, caring for people, and thinking about people's movements and facilitating that. On the other hand, that is not how our society is currently operating, and we are not going to take um, our cues from professional sports. So what it's also showing us is that certain people will be protected, privileged, or whatever for the sake of our entertainment. Hey, Lindsay, are you busy Mm -hmm. right now? It's a busy time of year. Yes. Yes. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I know. I was thinking about, like, how December, we're, like, in a pandemic. The holidays are coming, like, any second now. It's cold. I don't know. Everything feels hard right now. And I just think we should all be making part of our life easier. And if you are looking to hire someone, Indeed can help you do that. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person that you need to keep your business going. Best of all, you only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. All right. I have realized I have done y'all, my Uncle Quentin, and everybody such a disservice by only telling you about football bets on Bet Online. Like, obviously, we know that they go the extra mile to give you game spreads and totals and teams and players and coaching. You know, I've been saying they give you more options to wager, but how silly of me to say all the options only for football because they literally give you all the options to wager like more sports than just that for instance you could lay a bet on snooker which i googled (laughs) and it's sort of like pool like everything you could do if you know you want to lay a bet on album of the year jess you can go Hype oh, up Taylor. That. She's at negative 250 odds, which again, I don't know what, I don't that, know what means, that means either. <laughs> but you could do it. So they have all the Grammy Awards there, snooker, table tennis, all of the things. If you're really a uh, you know, masochist and you want to do political futures, you can even lay a bet on who will win the 2024 election. Oh, no. Uh, no, no, yes. no, no, yes. no, no. Yes. We reject that thought. But by uh, far, uh, my absolute favorite thing that you can go bet on right now is competitive eating. You can go lay a bet on if Joey Chestnut in the hot dog contest for 2021 will be over or under 74 and a half hot dogs. Mm. So listen, 
Go to Bet Online, take advantage of all the sign up bonuses, bet on some hot dogs. Don't forget to use the promo code BlueWire at betonline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts on clearly everything. I wonder what the COVID protocols are at the hot dog eating contest. <laughs> I try not to dwell. That is such a burn it all down question after hearing that. How will they be handled? Oh, gross. Now it's time for everyone's favorite segment that we like to call the burn pile, where we pile up all the things we've hated this weekend sports and set them aflame. Lindsay, what are you burning? Yeah, well, speaking of that Wednesday Steelers-Raven game, uh, Chris Collinsworth was on the call for NBC. And uh, during that, he talked about spending some time with some Pittsburgh Steelers fans during the week. Everybody's a fan, he said. In particular, the ladies that I met. They have really specific questions about the game. I'm like, wow, just blown away (laughs) really (laughs) really (laughs) in the year of 2020 we are really doing this like i read these article the article about this and then the response articles by brilliant female journalists across the industry and i do feel like i'm reading stuff that could have been written exactly in 1980, in 1990, in the year 2000. We're still here. Collinsworth has, of course, apologized for insinuating that he was shocked that women knew about football, but that's very clearly what he meant. We're not reading between the lines. Let's just stop this. All genders can love and be knowledgeable about sports. All of them. And if you don't believe that, if you are still shocked that someone who does not look like you knows about football, then you are a sexist pig. End of sentence. Done. Burn, burn, burn that bullshit. Burn. I just can't believe we're even here doing this, but burn. Burn. I really liked your Chris Collinsworth impersonation there, Lindsay. I think well, you should, you know, read all <laughs> sexist comments in that in that lovely voice. Mm-hmm. Amira, what do you want to torch? Yeah, I just wanted to um, give an update on a case that we followed, you know, back when it started, which was the Robert Kraft massage parlor mayhem. And I just wanted to mostly say, hey, if you listen to this podcast and you read what our co-hosts write, and particularly if you listen to Lindsay's reporting on this, then none of this will come as a surprise. Um, Lindsay wrote a piece for Think Progress um, RIP back in March of 2019, where she talked about how punishing Robert Kraft wouldn't help the real victims of this. And in that and breaking it down, one of the things that Lindsay and other reporters on the ground and and including an interview that um, Lindsay did with Susan Elizabeth Seppard back on episode 95, pointed out that a lot of times these investigations on so-called sex trafficking are also just a way to bust up sex workers. And that has turned out to absolutely be the case. So this week, the women 
in the parlor, pled guilty to soliciting prostitution charges. They had to pay thousands of dollars in fines. They're facing probation. Their work is shut down. Reminder that every man involved in this, including Kraft, has had their charges dropped. They are not facing any repercussions for this because as you dig through it, it's very clear to see that the real targets here were the immigrant women sex workers. And at the end of this whole saga, um, what is left is that they are paying fines, they are facing jail time, they are the ones who bore the brunt. And the price of all of this, while people were able to get caught up in big headlines, celebrity, and chasing that story, really became a kind of faux moralistic cover for a crackdown on women, on immigrant sex workers. And I can't think of anything more that talks about the imbalance of powers in this country to think about that sex workers who are engaging in labor practices that men like Robert Kraft take advantage of and are the ones who have such precarious labor that they can get it shut down and face fines and jail and things like that. And even in this moment when they're purported to be the victims, when people are under the guise of caring about sex trafficking, are really shutting down their ability to work and stacking them and the weight of the state against them while everybody else kind of frolics along. You know, they got off and they got going and that's it. So I would just like to burn it, burn the predictable, but no less frustrating conclusion of this case. Burn. 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 Maggie Haney, a former gymnastics coach for Olympic gold medalist Lori Hernandez, was suspended in March by USA Gymnastics for eight years for, quote, severe aggressive behavior against athletes. USAG determined that after nearly a dozen of her students, including Hernandez, reported Haney for abuse. In May, Hernandez told the New York Times' Juliet McCurr that Haney would berate her for her weight or any small mistake and pushed her to train on dislocated knees and broken wrists. Hernandez says she developed eating disorders and suffered from depression as a result. This past week, McCurr talked to Haney, who blamed the abuse that she did to these athletes on caring too much. But Haney also claims that she remembers her interactions differently than the gymnasts do. She believes that she treated Hernandez well, like a part of her family even, and says that the Hernandez family is being motivated by money. And Haney fell back on a normal line. The times have changed, the culture has changed, and she is worried that without the kind of abuse Hernandez and others described, gymnastics will be filled with underachievers. The entire piece ends on this quote from Haney, which really tells you everything you need to know. Quote, I feel that somebody needs to stand up for coaches. If I don't stand up and fight for the truth, then other coaches aren't going to either. I know if this can happen to me, I think it can happen to anyone. In other words, Haney and other coaches being held accountable for their behavior are the victims here. Kathy Johnson-Clark, a former Olympic gymnast and current commentator for ESPN and the SEC Network, took to Twitter and responded to this piece in a long thread that says a lot of what I'm feeling about this. But here's the part that I want to highlight from Johnson-Clark's thread. Quote, The sad and alarming part is the seeming belief that as long as there was enough good gymnastics, smiling, laughing, and music in the gym, or that Maggie treated Lori like family and did so many wonderful things with and for her that it should outweigh substantiated abuse. I've no doubt there were good times and many reasons to be grateful, but I implore you to imagine every time you're called weak, lazy, or messed up in the head, or each day you fought off depression as a nail hammered into wood, you can remove the nail, but the hole remains." 
Gymnasts are not fully developed adults in a professional sport. They are children for much of their gymnastics careers, and that should be the determining factor in how this sport is overseen. Haney has appealed her suspension and should know soon if an arbiter will reduce or remove it. We've done it before, but let's do it again and just burn, burn the shitty culture of USA Gymnastics personified this week by Maggie Haney. Burn. Burn. Now to highlight people carrying the torch and changing sports culture. First, Amira with Memoriam. This past week, uh, we lost Rayford Johnson, uh, American Olympian. He was the first black captain of a U.S. Olympic team in 1960. Um, The image of him carrying the flag into the Rome Olympics brought him much acclaim. He followed that up with a decathlon gold medal. He went on to have a career as a goodwill ambassador for the state. He worked closely with the Kennedy administration and family, including Eunice Kennedy Shriver, who, of course, helped found the Special Olympics. And he was a founding board member of the Special Olympics, which is a little unknown fact about Rafer Johnson. He also was the person who apprehended Sharan Sharan after he assassinated Bobby Kennedy. He was the one who tackled him. So Rafer Johnson has had these very interesting post-Olympic lives and stories. Forrest Gump. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But he is, uh, he was a phenomenal athlete, a phenomenal man. um, And I just, I hope you rest in power, Rafer. Lindsay, who is our going where no woman has gone before of the week? (laughs) Sarah Gama, Italian national player with over 100 caps and long serving captain for Juventus, became the first ever woman to be elected as vice president in the Italian Footballers Association. Super great. For glass ceiling shatterer of the week, we have Stephanie Frappar who has been in our honorable mentions at least two previous times for shattering glass ceilings in soccer refing. Frappar made Champions League history when she became the first woman to referee a men's match in the tournament last week. Lindsay, who are our a long time coming of the week? I have a little bit of questions about our grammar here, but I'm going to keep it. <laughs> blazing forward. <laughs> The U.S. Women's National Team and U.S. Soccer Federation, they resolved several non-compensation issues that were part of the um, U.S. Women's National Team's equal pay lawsuit. Here's how a friend of the show, Meg Linehan, explained it in The Athletic. Quote, there will be an equal number of charter flights between the men's and women's teams in addition to comparable hotel budgets and an equal number between 18 and 21 of supporting staff. There are also new guidelines on venue selection, though sealed in the filing, with requirements for both teams matches to be played on grass in almost all cases. How was this all not the case already? <laughs> I don't know, but that's great. News. It was a long time coming, is what I'm saying. Yes. All right. I, I get it. I get it. Can I get a drum roll, please? <laughs> Amira, please tell us about our torchbearer of the week. I would love to. Um, Dee Dee Richards, senior guard at Baylor, National Defensive Player of the Year last year had a very scary accident on October 24th, uh, collided in practice with Moon. After the collision, they found her on the ground unconscious. Not only was Didi unconscious, she was paralyzed. 
when they took her to the hospital, she couldn't feel her legs at all. And essentially she had spinal shock. That meant that they were worried if she would ever walk again. Playing was out of the question at that point. That was 38 days ago. This week, she returned to the basketball court. Two minutes after getting on the game, she scored her first basket. And here is D.D. Richards, and she gets the hoop. She stole the ball twice. She finished with four points. She made seven assists. They've described it as a walking miracle. Uh, D.D. talked about her journey over the last few months. And she said, my legs felt stuck. They would hesitate or jump a bit. And that's when I learned to celebrate each little thing. Every different thing was something I wasn't able to do the day before. I became more positive with little victories. And step by step, almost improbably, she was cleared to play. And she's back on the court. She says it's drawn her closer to the game. And I would just like to raise her up and to say our hearts are with you in this journey. And I am so pleased to see you up walking, running, shooting, moving again. Okay. What's good, y'all? Lindsay, what is good with you? (laughs) Well, uh, this is a mixed feelings one, but ultimately I've moved out of D.C. um, on Saturday, which is yesterday I finished packing and cleaning and uh, packed my tiny little Buick sedan up to the brim with everything I could from my room and going to get junk removers to come and take out the rest. And I'm down in North Carolina. I don't know exactly where I am living full time yet, like which apartment or condo. There's still a lot up in the air. But I'm with my aunt, and this is going to allow me to be closer for all the mom stuff. And, you know, I've spent the last three months going back and forth between D.C. and Greensboro, and it has been completely exhausting. And I've been pretty unable to function work-wise during this time. So I'm so excited to be settled and to really get back into working, working, working. And on that note, another good thing that happened this week was Power Plays had our first virtual event. So a Zoom event. And it was for Jessica's book, which was our book club pick. And that was super exciting. And I was so nervous because I the reason I never held a Zoom thing for Power Plays before was because I was afraid nobody would come. Um, And uh, (laughs) so many people came. So many of our subscribers came and Jess and Kavitha, of course, they came for Jess and Kavitha, who were phenomenal. And it was just, uh, it made the whole thing made me very happy. And I was staying at my aunt's house um, during it and she listened in. And that was Monday. And between then and now, I've been back and forth and packed up my entire D.C. apartment and come back here. And when I came in last night, what was laying on her side table open? Loving sports. Yeah. They don't love you back. <laughs> oh, that's so lovely. Yeah. Oh, Lynn's, I love that. Amira. <laughs> yeah, this past week was Jackson's birthday. So my uh, little dude is eight, which is wow. wild. And, you know, I I obviously didn't think I would be that all my kids, when, when the pandemic started, I was like, okay, like, you know, I thought my birthday was safe <laughs> yeah. in June. And then we had to wrap our heads around doing Zachary's, you know, fourth birthday. And I just like never imagined that we'd be doing Jackson's birthday also COVID-y and looking like Samari's next month as well. But 
it was a good day. It was very low key. He had virtual school, but his teacher dropped off a like gift bag with slime and ninja stuff and a book about black inventors because Jackson invents things all the time. And then he logged on and you hear all these little voices on Zoom say, happy birthday, Jackson. And then he like went into all these breakout rooms throughout the day with it. Like, like schedule play dates in breakout rooms. Um, and Jackson recently has started doing it and becoming very coy when we're like looking at him on and he's like what we're just playing and then like you walk in the room and he's zooming and he'll wait and he'll be like like he needs his privacy to talk to his friends so this is eight but yeah we had a low-key day we had some cake uh we watched tv it was really low-key but he's very happy and that is the most important thing and so um you know him and his little light and he he calls himself the center of our family he's like middle child but without a lot of the middle child angst he's like I'm great. It's the center. I'm the center of the family. Um, And in many ways, he is um, very much its heartbeat. And so um, Jackson will always be my what's good. Oh, happy birthday, Jackson. Happy birthing day, Amira. Thank you. So my family in two days, two days, I think, watched the entire season, the new season of Saved by the Bell, which is on Peacock. You do have to pay for the premium subscription, but you can get a seven-day trial. And I... Don't even know how, I don't have enough words to say how great Save by the Bell, the reboot is in the year 2020. You get all the nostalgic factor. If you, like me, grew up on Save by the Bell and watched every episode 400 times, you get all of that. But then it's just good and it's smart and it's cutting and it's funny. And I just, it was wonderful and I highly, highly recommend it. And then Book stuff is still very good. As Lindsay said, I got to do the Power Plays Zoom this week. Today, after this is over, I have to go pick up a copy of the New York Times because our book was reviewed positively in the book review and it's out today in print. And then I think it's in two days. I should have checked before, but Shireen's mom is happy birthday to her mother this week. And Shireen originally wanted me to just like sign a piece of paper and scan it in and then she was going to print it out and put it in a book. And I was like, no, I'm going to send this to your mother. So I sent off a copy of the book signed to her mom and I had flagged the parts of the book that have Shireen's name in them where she shows up. And so I got very cute photos of Shireen's mom opening the book this weekend and she was very excited and Shireen told me that she immediately read out loud the sections about her daughter. So that made me feel really good this week. Okay, so what we're watching this week feels particularly weird (laughs) to even be talking about after our COVID discussion. But I will just say, if you're into football, the NFL and college football are trying their best. They're limping through. College basketball is back. In soccer, international stuff, the Women's Euro Qualifiers, FA Women's Super League, FA Women's Championship, and Premier League are continuing, as is the Men's Champs League. That's it for this episode of Burn It All Down. On behalf of all of us here, burn on and not out. This episode was produced by the delightful Martin Kessler. Tressa Verstig edits our interview segments. Shelby Weldon does our website, episode transcripts, and social media. You can find Burn It All Down on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you want to subscribe to Burn It All Down, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and TuneIn, all the places. For information about the show and links and transcripts for each episode, check out our website, Burn It All Down Pod. 
From there, you can email us directly or go shopping at our Teespring store. It's the perfect time to pick up a hoodie or a blanket. As always, an evergreen thank you to our patrons for your support. It means the world. You can sign up to be a monthly sustaining donor to Burn It All Down at patreon.com slash burnitalldown. Burn it all down.